Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Ryan Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's funny car winner from Indy Ron Caps and top fuel rookie Joe Morrison. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. A veteran winner and a wide-eyed first starter from Indy. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here, back with another edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Great to have you on listening to the show this week. We have come off uh, another great race weekend at Indy for the Dodge Indy Nationals, presented by Pennzoil. It was uh, highly entertaining both Saturday and Sunday. We saw breakout performances by the likes of Terry McMillan, the, the incredible number one qualifying shot that they made to lock in their first ever career number one qualifying spots, and then they made it all the way to the final and top fuel. Um, it was uh, by any measure, Pro Stock Motorcycle was another wacky, wild weekend. It was uh, Chris Bostic making a final round. It was Angel winning her first race since 2016. It was, again, that kind of string and slew of upsets and craziness that we really haven't seen the the end of. It started all the way back in Pomona at the World Finals. The last three races, which were the World Finals and then the E3 Spark Plugs Nationals at Indy, then the Dodge Indy Nationals last weekend. Um, all three of them have been topsy-turvy, very, very entertaining examples of why drag racing is uh, among the most uh, unpredictable things on planet Earth. Nitro Funny Car, we saw Ron Caps get a win. That's why he's going to be on the show here today. I want to talk to him about finally breaking through at Indy. He had won some of the shootouts back in the day at the U.S. Nationals, but he had never actually won a race at the facility. Of course, he wants to win the U.S. Nationals, and we're going to talk about that too, but he has a Wally in his name, in his hand, from this event that was held, of course, at the Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis, so big moment there. And really, it's going to be fun to kind of go inside a little bit. It's always neat when you get to talk to a guy who, um, you know, the first two races were a struggle for them, not necessarily... Uh, an overt struggle. The second one specifically, they made a great run first round, just got just got outrun, uh, just got beat by Hagen on a, kind of a brutal first round performance that he had. But uh, to see a team that was like frustrated after those first two races, then break out and uh, run the table on Sunday was was really cool. And the second guest is going to be Joe Morrison. And the reason I want to talk to Joe is great guy. I've known Joe for uh, for several years, and he made his first professional top fuel start on Sunday. Uh, he did not qualify for the first running or the first attempt that he made at the Lucas Oil Summer Nationals. Did qualify last weekend and was able to, uh, on a Sunday morning race day, square off in round one. Didn't go as in his favor in that first round, but the fact that the dude has chased this dream for his whole life and has made it this far and is now competing actively in top fuel is uh, among the more kind of uplifting and awesome stories that we had from that event. Talked about Chris Bostic, talked about some of the names of people that we see coming into the sport to compete. However, infrequently, they're making their starts and they're coming in and, and putting on a great show. They're giving us great stories to tell during these uh, race days, which, again, they have uh, come fast and furious. Not nearly fast and furious enough for our taste and for what our original schedule was, but... They have come, and they will continue to come, it appears, uh, at Indianapolis. We'll be back there for the next race. will be the U.S. Nationals. It was announced early this week that the Atlanta race, the Southern Nationals, has been put off until 2021, citing the uh, kind of state and local regulations and other things going on in the greater commerce-slash-Atlanta area. 
So that race will be contested next year. We will not be running in Atlanta this year. So um, that means U.S. Nationals is next. Gives us a couple of weeks break to uh, get everything, all our ducks in a row and back there to Indy. The format of Indy will be different, which is something we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. But uh, it will be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday race. And there will be one qualifying session on Friday. It will be the only race this year that has three qualifying sessions for our mellow yellow category teams. And we will not be racing on Monday, which, um, you know, not unprecedented, but certainly not something that uh, has happened in some years and certainly not for the reasons that it is happening here in 2020. So like everything else, the U.S. Nationals will provide familiarity in its location, which will be the fourth race that we've run at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. This format will just be a little bit different than we're used to. And frankly, I'm okay with that. Uh, Being able to run the Denso Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals is... um, a far more important thing than being able to run it in the traditional way. There will be stock and super stock class eliminations at that race, which I think is cool. Um, that's something that is only happening once this year on the national event level, and that's uh, going to happen at the Denzel Spark Plugs U.S. Nationals. So if you're a stock and super stock fan, if you've been thinking about, should I go to Indy? Shouldn't I go to Indy? What should I do? Um, I would I would encourage you to come. Um, I would encourage you to come be part of the race because it's going to be a very unique U.S. Nationals as every one of these events has been. So if you love stock and super stock and you want to see class eliminations, you got one shot to do it. So make sure you get yourself to Indy in a few weeks. That's going to be the, let's see, 4th, 5th, and 6th of September when that action will be going on. So Love all that stuff. Uh, For those of you that are obviously uh, into the sport of NHRA drag racing, fairly connected to NHRA drag racing, you know what happened. Maybe you don't. Uh, Hopefully you've heard the news that on Sunday night after the race that was held just last weekend, there was a car accident, and that car accident involved uh, Dominic Lagana, Richie Crampton, and Jake Sanders. And it happened um, on a road not too far away from the racetrack. Unfortunately, it was a single car accident involving the 57 Chevy uh, Drag Week station wagon that Richie Crampton built. Uh, Dominic Logano was driving. And uh, sad to say, there have been injuries. Uh, Jake Sanders uh, made it, I would say, the, the least scathed out of the three guys. Thankfully, he was able to uh, leave the hospital on Monday, uh, making this show on Wednesday. Uh, Richie Crampton uh, suffered, from my understanding, uh, some broken bones, has been in the hospital, continues to be, has had some surgeries to work on uh, those particular issues he's had with some of his extremities. And Dominic Lagana, unfortunately, has received the worst of it uh, in this particular accident. He remains hospitalized. He received burns, among other injuries, and the entire drag racing community has been uh, sending its uh, its prayers and its best wishes and its thoughts uh, to Dominic Lagana as he is uh, in a very serious fight in the hospital. The details of the crash uh, have not really been released yet. Uh, it's a single-car accident. We understand that uh, they struck a utility pole in the car and in the coming days, weeks, months, I'm sure there will be more information released regarding the situations that surrounded the crash itself. But at this moment, uh, I find it to be far less important to talk about the specifics of what happened as opposed to, you know, just trying to to send the best uh, we can to Richie, Jake and Dominic Lagana, the entire you know drag racing community world, if you will has uh, been pulling for these guys and has reached out to see what uh, what they can do. Of course, Bobby and Dominic Lagana, just great people. Dominic was a guest on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, 
and it was this great enlightening revealing conversation about him and his life and growing up in the sport with his father and his brother and they have a bond that is uh, unique amongst themselves and amongst the fans so we um, we're all pulling for Dominic we're all pulling for Richie and certainly hoping Jake Sanders has a, a speedy recovery as well as more information comes out regarding this, you'll see it reported on NHRA.com, and of course you'll see it reported around the drag racing media. But on behalf of uh, myself and everybody at the NHRA, we want to send uh, all of our great uh, wishes, thoughts, and uh, certainly our uh, hopes towards a full recovery for Richie and a full recovery for Dom. And um, I'm sure we'll get into it with these two guys too when we get into our interviews here on the show. But just a very tough thing and i never want to see it happen to anybody uh inside drag racing or outside of it and we're all just pulling for dominic and richie to uh to make the best recovery that is uh that is possible so that uh, that being said not the, the most uplifting news there but certainly news that affects people in drag racing it, it affects the sport on a whole and the response has been um has been just amazing in terms of uh in terms of people publicly privately you know just sharing uh sharing their best thoughts and sharing their best heartfelt reactions, if you will, and sharing their help uh, with the Lagana family and, and the Cramptons and, and with Jake Sanders as well. So that being said, I feel like we should move back onto the subject at hand, which is to look back and talk about this great race we had last weekend, a race that um, was very well rated on television, a total audience on Sunday of over 1.1 million people, uh, which is spectacular. Whenever we can talk about those numbers that are over a million people watching drag racing on a particular day, it uh, certainly makes my little heart go pitter-patter and hopefully makes yours go pitter-patter as well. We've had all three of our indie races have been much higher uh, in their audience count and rating than they were a year ago. So I feel as though uh, there are obviously a million factors involved in, in any given weekend's broadcast, but doing it once is kind of cool doing it twice is like a little bit cooler than that and then when you're able to go three three races in a row and over uh beat the numbers i should say beat the numbers year over year it uh certainly to me you know it's a trend and we will be back on network fox television when we are back at indy for the u.s nationals so um for us to be able to have the equivalent of four a month of sundays if you will give or take a uh, live National broadcast television races is uh, is is spectacular, and in these uh, weird times we're living in, is certainly a, a silver lining to some of the otherwise darkened clouds that have been floating through the sky. So, want to thank everybody for watching NHRA on Fox. Certainly, thanks for watching the qualifying show, and then thanks for watching the main elimination show as well as the re-air on Sunday evening had a had a killer rating as well. So, all in all. Can't thank everybody enough for the watching the shows and hanging out with us, whether you're watching on .TV or watching on Fox or FS1, wherever you are watching it, the fact is you're watching it, and uh, very thankful for that. A guy who is thankful for hoisting a Wally at the top end of Indy this weekend is Ron Caps, and he will be the first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, the driver of the Napa Dodge. Ron Caps, how you doing, man? I'm good, boy. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Obviously, it was a spectacular weekend for you guys. A uh, long time coming. At least three races coming, I guess, in my, in my mind here. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because it was actually like a really interesting kind of thing to watch you guys over the last three races. I mean, we talked a lot about the fact that, yeah, it was two first-round losses, but there were two very completely different first-round losses. And I guess I want to talk about maybe those first two weekends, how – those two first rounds couldn't have been any more different. Same result, but couldn't have been any more different. 
Yeah, you know, we had the everybody had a test session right before that first weekend coming back from the pandemic, and so looking back, um, we probably should have made a couple more. Um, you know, we'd kind of gotten a note from the boss that we were only allowed to make a certain amount of runs, all the teams at DSR, and so we were trying to trying to abide by that. And um, and for me, I, I was like I told Tobler, I don't know about these other drivers, but I needed a couple runs myself just to get to the car yeah. and on top of that we had a, a car that was front halved going into Gainesville so that was a brand new basic a brand new car uh, which we never got to run in Gainesville so we had a new car we only had really one checkout run that didn't go past maybe 400 feet so leading in to the two runs on that first weekend uh, we got very lucky actually ended up 16th and had to run TJ and um, even though we made a great run, we were just a few runs behind and uh, got whooped <laughs> and so <laughs> then the second weekend you know, we did what we what we thought the car would do. Went out, qualified, I think fourth, and ran well in the heat. And we were very very comfortable until we were told that we were running Hagen first round. <laughs> uh, so it's a product of this two runs of qualifying. It's just you don't know what's going to happen, and then you throw a small chance of a possibility of weather maybe coming in. Yeah, and so that changes things. You get up the staging lanes there in Indy. And as you know, doing the TV and stuff, I mean, even that second weekend, the, the final didn't get to run because of the rain that just yep. came swip, sweeping in real quick. Uh, crew chief leaves the pit area with what he thinks will be the conditions. You get up there, and all of a sudden, temperature changes, the barometer, everything just completely blindsides these crew chiefs, and the big moves can't be made, yeah. uh, compression and, and things like that right right off the bat. So um, we... we you know, and obviously getting whooped by Hagen that first round, we knew what they were going to do, and we we didn't want to smoke the tires, but we again we were behind a little bit, so that was nothing different. And then this last weekend, <laughs> we qualified third, and we got Tim Wil- or second or third, third I think, yeah. and we got Wilkerson, and it's like my gosh, what do you got to do? And so, like Tober said, he said, man, we just needed to get out of first round, and and we were going to be okay. And uh, he was joking with me, but he wasn't. Yeah, he was. He was. So once we right. did. Yeah, I mean, once we did, it was still a tough lineup, but it was just a matter of getting out of that first round, and we're going to see that a lot this year. But two runs of qualifying is, for everybody, it's brutal, but it, it's exceptionally brutal for a Nitro Funny Car because it's just uh, it's tough. Yeah, Wilkerson's like, Wilkerson to me, uh, just from where I sit, and certainly a different perspective from where you sit, but a scary guy to race because he's like a boxer that does a jab, but man, he's got a, he's got a right hook that'll lay you on your ass very quickly. You know what I mean? Like the guy does not show up to screw around. And so when you have a guy like him in the first round, I feel like there are some racers, some teams that you've been racing, competing long enough that you can kind of have maybe this window in your mind of where we need to be, what we need to do. But with Tim, I don't think that exists because there are times that that guy will come up here and just wallop somebody first round. Yeah, and I feel the same way. On top of it, I love the guy, so I hate right. racing him, and, and I'm a big Tim Wilkerson fan. But, you know, he's, to me, a, a throwback, much like Del Warsham, where I, I have so much uh, respect for, and I, I love that kind of old-school tune-it-get-in-and-drive-it type of thing. And he is dangerous no matter where he qualifies. I, I'd like to think like we are with a Napa car. I, I wouldn't want to run the car uh, or race our car, you know, especially if we didn't qualify well. Um, and he's the same way. So, yeah, I did not want to see him first round um, at all. I don't want to see him any rounds until <laughs> late in the day. But, yeah, he's tough. You don't know what he's going to do. And, and and like I told Tobler Saturday night, I said, man, he's only got one car here to concentrate on. It's not like he's got Stevie Fast or his kid or somebody else exactly. in that car. So with a lot of, a lot of attention on his own car, 
I was not feeling, I didn't sleep real well Saturday night. <laughs> you know, one of the things that's so interesting to me is uh, obviously the DSR Funny Car program is hitting on every single possible cylinder right across the board right now, which, I mean, to a point where I'm not sure I've ever seen the four cars running as good as they are at this moment, uh, all together at the same time. And the most important thing to realize for people, which maybe we say a lot, maybe we don't say enough, is that they all in, they all operate independently of these little kind of island nations of one another. So it speaks volumes to, I think, the infrastructure of the team, because obviously you guys are getting incredibly well-built equipment and incredibly well-built parts, because other than that, the, the only similarity you share is the fab shop and the machine shop. Other than that, you guys do it all on your own in terms of tuning, driving, all that other stuff. Yeah, and if you were, to, if you guys outside the ropes were to be around Don, you'd think we hadn't won a first round. All four teams. <laughs> he is not. He's still not content. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So um, I love that about him. He's competitive. But if you hear him talk about how we're all doing, you'd think we hadn't won a race in a while. So um, yeah, we're, we're all running great. We don't have John Forrest and Ron, Robert Height there. That that's obvious. Is a big deal. Jimmy Proc changes the landscape. Yeah, uh, a lot uh, when his car comes up. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, that being said, um, it, it is unique because just to break it down, I mean, we've got basically in the DSR funny cars, we've got two six disc funny cars with Dickie Venables and uh, and then Hagen, uh, Beckman's car, and then you have the two five disc, which Ron Tobler, of course, and JC on Tommy Johnson's car, and, and JC obviously worked under Tobler on our car many years, and so. Our cars are more alike than anything else, um, but they still run differently. JC does things a lot differently, even though it's got the same five disc. But what's cool? It's just brains, man. Yeah. It's it's and you've been over in a pit area on a Saturday night and had Dickie Venables in our trailer or JC in there. They can still talk on what they've done and what they're gonna do and what the car has done over the first two days of qualifying on a Saturday night and still understand how to apply it even though the car <clears throat> is so different and and a six disc car to a five disc car you is apples and oranges is an understatement it's not even close so applying that load and that pressure and and plate load and all the stuff that you hear talked about and the power of the motor it, it's so different with a six disc and a five disc so um yeah, they're different, but I, I always feel like we're racing a completely different car or we're racing a DSR car, even though it's the same body, same chassis, and all that stuff. So it's, for me, my teammates are the toughest cars to run, hands down, at, at any given moment, because basically, you know, it's Tobler, Tobler against Venables, and it's me against Hagen, or, yeah. or whoever you pick. No, and it's epically fun to watch. And you mentioned load and pressure as it relates to the clutch, but I want to take load and pressure and kind of slide it back towards the human side of this. Um, I still, in my mind, have not gotten myself around the two qualifying sessions. I, I enjoy the, the dr dramatic element of it, but I, I'm always, after we get done with Q2 and I have to, like, close the show on TV, it's like, wait a second, why am I doing this? Um, so I, I'm wondering for you, have you kind of, I'm not going to say it felt comfortable because I guarantee no one will feel comfortable in this this year, but have you adjusted yourself as far as the two qualifying sessions go? Uh, yes and no. I, I would, I, as you were just saying that, because right away I wanted to interrupt you and go, uh, I, NHRA should make it three. I mean, I, I grew up as a kid going to Fremont and Bakersfield, and they'd run a show of three qualifying runs during the day, and then they'd run a race starting at 5 o'clock, a yep. full-blown 16-car or sometimes 32-car show. Um 
but you got to remember the cost and everything's kind of backed down because of what we got going on with in the world. So I understand the two runs. Um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, when they announced it, I was almost jumping up and down in my house because I'm like, Hey, I got Tobler. I got our guys. This is a car that should roll up there and consistently go down the racetrack may not be number one, but we're going to be consistent. We're going to put the pressure on in two runs, bring it on. Um, and then we almost didn't qualify the first weekend. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, I get it and I, I like it and I like it going forward. Um, again, it's tough because if there's more than 16 cars, it changes everything. And, uh, you know, you, you get, uh, McIntyre's and you get Alex and you get Creasy and all these other guys that show up, um, Haddock. And they can unleash a 410 or a 415, and yes. they're going to be set for race days, um, especially the conditions we saw. So, yeah, I, I feel good about it. And I, yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, but there's times you just, uh, everybody's got their, you know, what's up in their throat. And, oh, yeah. and you just kind of, you, you, uh, you know, it's funny. You go up there with a plan, and then Toba comes back to the box three or four times and yeah. starts every time a, a car will run in front of us, he'll come back and make a change. So, there's a lot going on for these crew chiefs, and honestly, like I told Amanda and you guys on TV, that is not an easy racetrack to drive. So all these race races we have at Indy for the fans, you got to understand they are not. It doesn't. It may look like it, like another drag strip, but there's so many nuances with those two lanes at Indianapolis. The way they drive you to one side or the other historically, and it's been doing it for twenty something years yes. to me. And it's not an easy track to drive. Some of the best drivers are getting out of the groove and moving around down there. And uh, and sometimes you see a car go right down the middle and makes it look easy. And it is not in a funny car, I promise you. Yeah, it's one of the things um, we're actually working on putting some stuff together for the, the U.S. National Show when we get back there is to show some of the, the trending um, on guys and girls that are making full runs. But the, there are visual trends you pick up over the course of any given weekend and, and like you said those lanes those lanes for whatever reason like the bermuda triangle they suck these cars in different directions and it, it bears to to your point what you just finished off on is we need to be making a bigger deal of when we do see a guy or a girl take one right down the gut right down the center it's like that's somebody who was working their ass off from the starting line to the finish line to keep it where it needed to be and sometimes it just does it. It's crazy. And Tobler, my crew guys laugh at me on the radio a lot, and I laugh at them, but Tobler, before one of our runs of qualifying, we're in the right lane, and he goes, hey, remember what this lane does? And I go, I got back on the radio, I said, yeah, it's been doing it to me for 26 <laughs> years. Like, I know what it's going to do, and I, only these last few years I've gotten to the point where I'll come back and he'll give me crap about the car getting out of the groove or moving around, and I just tell him, yeah, it's a funny car. Like, I didn't expect to go out there and let it get out of the groove. I haven't been driving a funny car since 1998 and gone out there and went, you know what? This lane's going to move me out of the groove. I'm going to go ahead and wait a second and make sure that it does it before I make a move. I don't do that. It's like a World of Outlaws sprint car. Every time they go out on the track, they know where the fast area is, but but do do they exactly go where they're supposed to go in a World Outlaw sprint car? Not a chance. Right. So... So the funny car is a very difficult car to drive on top of that and the wind blowing from side to side, which were very apparent. You know, we, we look for that. When you get past those big grandstands, that throws another monkey wrench into it. So you, it, it's hard. Uh, I just, you know, uh, you feel like a rookie sometimes. You go out there and you make a run like we did the last couple of weeks. And I, I, first round against Wilkerson, if, if he had made it down the track, he would have beat us because it got out on me and moved to the inside and it spun and, we slowed down to a 4.15 or a 4.11 or whatever it was, and 
we were there for the taking because I didn't catch it quick enough, even though I knew that there was a chance it was going to do it. It's uh, that's what that's what keeps it very interesting. And to to this continued train of thought, I had this conversation with a guy yesterday, and uh, he thought I was out of my mind, but I'm sticking to my guns here. Uh, in my mind, this will be for you or anybody else. This coming up, the Denzo Sparkplugs U.S. Nationals will be the hardest U.S. Nationals that anybody has won in decades because nobody has raced a field of cars that have raced down the same racetrack three times in a row already and haven't left the pit area effectively to some of these trailers. And then you get to come back and do it again. So this isn't like you got to run the Indy test and make however many runs, three, four, five, whatever you make. I mean, you have made multiple qualifying runs. Now you've made a full slate of eliminations runs and everybody else has, has two. And to me, that changes the game. I mean, that makes it a much more difficult race to win. Yeah. And you know, historically with the butt shootout and the skull showdowns and all this, the extra stuff that you've had in the past, the extra runs, um, you know, winning the butt shootout, you always got an extra run in the final round on top of everything, even though it didn't count towards qualifying. So this time you go into Monday with five or six runs under your belt. The year that we won the makeup race in Brainerd, we won uh, Saturday night. We got an extra run in during qualifying. So there's always a, a not a lack of runs to worry about there. And now, like you said, we've been down the track. You've got all this data. We're going to see triple digits again, guaranteed. We're going to see the humidity. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hot and humid and tricky. Um, but we are getting one more run at night, which we can't uh, put towards anything. It's not going to go towards anything on race day because it'll be an evening run. It'll be cool, and it'll be an ego shot for everybody, and that'll be your chance to get qualified where you're going to qualify. But those two runs again on Saturday are just going to set up what is going to be another tough field. I guarantee more than 16 cars will yep. be there in funny cars. So here we are talking about all all the all the essential things that make it, you know, gut-wrenching. So, um, yeah, and again, you talk about the lanes trying to get down them in a funny car. So, I, yeah, just as you saying that, started to make me nervous, and we got three <laughs> weeks like to go. So it is going to be difficult, but I, I promise you um, – you know, this whole year will be whoever stands there at the end of the trophy and up on the stage, wherever the stage might be. Um, this U.S. Nationals is going to be one of those moments where it's going to be the 2020 strange, bizarro year uh, to be able to call yourself a U.S. Nationals champion. Yeah, and that, yeah, it goes it goes right to the end. And uh, you know, Jr. made a, a statement at the end of the racetrack. He said, "You know, we hope we get enough runs to make the make it a legitimate championship." And I disagree with his opinion only. On the sense of, you know, when we go back before 1974, you won the finals and you were the champ of Top Fuel or Funny Car, or even through those eras, you won four or five races. I mean, it's like when Prudhomme won, what, six out of eight one year, I don't think that was an illegitimate championship because there was eight races. You know, I feel as though everybody's had the same number of races to compete in and and the legitimacy of the championship only goes out the window if some people have more opportunity than others, which hasn't really been the case. So I feel like uh, as crazy as this whole thing is, whoever does hoist the trophy, no matter what category, they've certainly uh, they've certainly earned it in in every uh, in every respect. One of the things I want to talk to you about is, um, you know, I, I've felt, and I, I hope you have, and everybody else in the pits have, like. There's a very interesting spirit about what's going on this year, and I know it's weird and it's strange and it's obviously not ideal for anybody, but I do feel like it is a victory for us as the NHRA, for drag racers in general. Every time we're able to go race, I feel like we're we're beating the odds somehow. You know, it's it's certainly not the way we're used to doing it, but every time we're actually able to go to the racetrack and compete, I feel like it's a victory for us. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Without a doubt. Um, you know, and with Penske saying no fans at the yeah. Indy 500, um, you know, I, I think that really, again, you know, I, I've had to kind of slap the wrist with some of our social media followers that get on and, and, uh, and ridicule us for wearing masks on TV and for, you know, all the, all the safety protocols that NHRA's had at the track and, and all that. But, um, it's so necessary for us even to be out there and you know it every single fan that has come up to us and again we're 25 percent capacity and so there's enough fans that it still feels pretty cool but it's still a little strange to walk out to pack my chute and not have the throngs of people walking around packed to the gills like it usually is but um just everybody that comes up you know they they understand it we can i get a selfie well they know they turn around and i stand six feet behind them and wave and that's it's everybody's been so good as far as our fans if they're so educated on what's going on and the first thing they always say is thank you man thank you for getting back out here this is this is awesome um so yeah i think we just keep it going and keep doing what we're doing and um you know while nascar got going everybody was jealous jr todd was texting me every time we watched <laughs> indycar on the track and yeah. sprint cars and he was getting so upset that we couldn't get back on the track and you know, I would talk to Glenn at NHRA and, and Ned and those guys, all they had a plan. They had an A plan, they had a B plan, C plan. I think we're down in probably E or F now. <laughs> but but they have a plan for everything. And so the, every time we get a chance, even though they canceled Atlanta, um, we're just hoping. I hear rumors of another race that's in September um, that's probably not going to happen, but I just heard a, a rumor that it may get run at Indy. And every time that's made that a sponsor says yeah we're cool with you running another race at indy and a big name sponsor that's good for our sport it's good for our fans and you know like i said in the interview i said we're just trying to take people away from what's going on in the real world and just give them something to smile about drag race fans they smile when they see a good racetrack a good a good run a good race uh you know and, and so we're just trying to put on some entertainment and have a good time while we're doing it I've also uh, I've also heard that rumor. So, huh? So what do yeah. you know? So keep your uh, keep your ears peeled, listeners, because you'll probably be hearing more of that rumor as uh, as time goes on. Um, you know, one last uh, topic I want to bring up before I let you go, because I know you get a busy day, a bunch of stuff you're doing here after the win. Um, obviously, our friends uh, Dom Lagana, Richie Crampton, Jake Sanders involved in a, a really unfortunate accident on Sunday night. Um, certainly not trying to put you on the spot, but I know everybody's uh, you know kind of sending their best wishes to those guys. Three really good dudes. Yeah, I've known Jake forever running the nostalgia stuff with his dad and, uh, of course, Richie and Dom. Great guys. Uh, it, and it touches a little more because I spent some time with them at the top end of the track after our win. You know, uh, Lindbergh came down there. They had uh, they were towing it with, with Richie's car that they yeah. built. Um, and it was, real, it, was, it was cool. And I had a real good moment with Richie. I don't get to see a lot because, you know, he's in Indy and he's, he's not driving all the time. So we had a good chat and hung out, and I love him and his family. Uh, same with all those guys. So that was a tough – I didn't even know until I got to the airport uh, Sunday morning. I saw Richard shoot, and I walked through security, and then I had a text from somebody. Uh, so I couldn't believe it. Um, so anyway, yeah, prayers, because uh, those guys uh, – it was worse than I thought at the beginning, and unfortunately. But uh, it's amazing, social media, and just how the fans have rallied around these guys. Some people don't even know them. And, uh, and how much they rallied around and sent prayers and all that. So, fingers crossed, man. Yeah, it's a big world we exist in in terms of drag racing. But when it comes down to it, it uh, we all circle the wagons pretty hard when uh, when 
couple of our owner in trouble. So now I appreciate that. And uh, obviously, you know, we're all uh, all pulling for those guys for the best. And I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. And uh, it was great to see you guys pick up the win. I was able to swing down and have a uh, have a quick chat with Tolber in the afternoon. And he's always the coolest guy in the room, but he was absolutely a little bit cooler even than that on Sunday afternoon. I would, I'm not going to call it relief, but I think for Tobe, that win was a little bit of like validation. Like, come on, guys. I knew we were going to get this done, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, you and I go way back. I mean, back, you know, it's fun to, to remember when you first came out with Chad, the bank ship, yep. at our test session in Florida. And so, I, I, you know, known you a long time. And Tobler, it was cool because he invited me to his house afterwards. Oh, and nice. I was going to go back to the room. And I was going to go back to the room, grab some beer, and lay in the air conditioning because I was beat. <laughs> and so he invited me over to open a really expensive bottle of wine with Dustin, our assistant crew chief, and their wives. And uh, we sat on his deck on Sunday night there in Indianapolis, drank some wine, and I'd never had a butter burger. So Alan Tober went and got a butter burger, uh, which we don't have that, that <laughs> fast food place out in California. And we drank two bottles of wine between six or eight of us. We social distanced. I ate a butter burger, and we just reminisced about how the day went. And uh, before I Ubered back to the hotel, it was like, God, what just a perfect ending to a perfect day. I was sitting out on the deck with my crew chief and my assistant crew chief, uh, just kind of reflecting on how we conquered something pretty special. So, yeah, Tobler's always fun. He's fun at the track. He's fun away from the track. And, uh, um, you know, I'd love to keep keep rolling. Well, hopefully you do for your sake, and if you roll through the next one, it'll be a historic victory for you. We're looking for that U.S. Nationals win number one, and we'll see if you can pull it off in a few weeks, man. Ron, appreciate your time, and I will see you back at the city we've all come to know and love, Indianapolis, very soon. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. See ya. All right, after a great chat with Ron Caps, it's time for our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is a first-time Top Fuel qualifier, living out a lifelong dream. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Morrison. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you, Joe, because uh, having known you now for several years and having uh, kind of been in contact with you as you have been on this journey to kind of get where you're at today, it's been cool to watch you kind of take it step by step. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that feeling was on Sunday morning. Maybe we'll work this story a little backwards. I want to know what it felt like to wake up Sunday morning and know that you were going racing that day. You know, it was surreal. Uh, like you said, Brian, we've known each other for a number of years now, and you've been one of the few people that have kind of seen the behind-the-scenes look as I was working for seven years, man, eight actually, <laughs> going back uh, to when I really first trying to put this together. So it's like I, I woke up in the morning going, wow, we're, we're here, right? Really? Like, are we really here? So it, it was It was very surreal. Um, I was glad to have some of my nostalgia racing buddies. Um, as you know, look, I, you know, I'm not new to drag racing, right? Having years run with the nostalgia cars, having some of the buddies that I have running the nostalgia East Coast nostalgia funny car circuit with me kind of helped keep me grounded. And uh, uh, my good buddy Rocky Perone was there, and, and actually he brought his RV, so I had a place to stay at the track nice. because – Let's face it, I, I don't have a whole lot of resources, sure. right? So uh, so Rocky really uh, had, a, had a lot of great things to kind of keep me grounded. And, and uh, so on one hand, it was very surreal. On the other hand, it felt like, oh, it's just another race day. Yeah. But it, but it clearly wasn't, right? It clearly wasn't. So it was kind of weird, you know? How much 
how much pride did those guys that you're talking about have in the fact that you qualified as well? Because I feel like it, it and and obviously the Leverage family car has been out for years, and, and it's no surprise that the car qualified. I'm not trying to paint it that way, but what I'm what I'm asking is, as big a deal as it was for you, the guy in the seat to do it, how big a deal was it for a guy like Rocky Perone, for guys that you've known that are helping out to have a hand in this car that was in the field? Well, it's um, it's everybody's kind of been a part of it. Um, and, and all the way back to the guys, my friends from, uh, NITO, the Northeast timing organization, sure. where I really cut my teeth, nostalgia racing. It really has been everyone's journey, which has been so cool. Um, and, and so it, yeah, it means a lot to, to my friends as well. And, and just, you know, when we qualified, my phone was just blowing up <laughs> with all of my, all of my racing friends sending, you know, congratulations and, uh, and yeah, so it, it, it feels like it's, it really hasn't been my journey. It's been our journey, so to speak. And, uh, and to have the support of so many fellow racers, look, man, that to me is the greatest honor I could possibly have. The fact that I've got a bunch of friends that are, that are really kind of living this with me, you know? So, uh, yeah, it really does. It seems to have meant a lot to a lot of people, which, um, I'm, I'm humbled by it. I really am. I don't, uh, I don't want to say I don't feel like I deserve it because no, I, th- that's not the case. Um, but but I do kind of pinch myself and, and go, wow, I, I kind of can't believe this is happening. You know, it's interesting. You look at you know qualifying for top fuel, and you, and for you know a drag racing fan who's sitting there like, well, yeah, there's a guy who qualified for top fuel. But in NHRA history, there's been 569 people that have qualified to race in top fuel at, a, at an event, whether that was once or whether it was 100 times. There's been 569 people to ever do that. And then when we kind of weigh that against other things, like we weigh it against the fact that maybe 5,000 or 5,500 people have climbed Mount Everest and 1,900 people have swam across the English Channel, it becomes a very small number. You know, that 569, perspective-wise, and, and the other kind of human feats of things is a very small club, and it's pretty neat to be a part of it, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And, uh, it's funny. I, I'm sure you could relate to this as, you know, as look, like we said before, known each other a long time. And, and, and I watched your career move forward too, kind of from a distance. And, and, um, I'm sure you can, you can relate to this. It's like, okay, we're here now the real work begins. Yeah. Um, so uh, on the other hand, it's like, yep, we made it. We're a part of this, this really small club. Now it's like, okay, so I didn't come all this way to show up once right. and go home. Right. right. So, so now I mean, my, where my focus is now, it's like, I, look, I've always been focused on, I have to bring sponsor dollars. Yep. Um, and, and thankfully with the leverages, they made a commitment to me before I had sponsor dollars committed. I mean, these guys took a giant leap of faith on me and, and I am forever grateful. Um, the cool thing is we've got amazing chemistry and now I'm, I'm taking that as a selling tool, a partial selling tool, and the real work begins, right? So I'm I'm really busting my butt to try to bring in some sponsor dollars because all this team needs to go from, you know, with what we have, like this car will run a high 380. It should live in the 390s. And and, and um, thankfully, <laughs> and, and, and again, now that, you know, folks know about Dom Lugana's accident, Dom was with us Saturday night. He helped us figure out something in the clutch system and this car will be back in the 390s. I'm telling you right now, next race we go out, if we don't run a low 390, we're going to be pissed um, because the car will do it. All we need to go from a three high 380, low 390 car 
to a low 380 car is money. Yeah. It, it really, you know, we've got the help behind the scenes. Gary isn't afraid to talk to other crew chiefs to get their input to really turn the screws up on this thing. So now it's like, all right, the real work begins. I'm going to find that money. And, and we would like to be, you know, we can very much be a, a, a higher performing car. It's just a matter of finding the right partners. Yeah, you know, I look at I look at the weekend that Terry Totten had, and I look at that car, and you know, to me, it, it provides a great example, and certainly from of what you're talking about. And Totten went out there and just made a couple of very nice low 390 runs. The car was clean, everything was happy, and he went out there in the first round and and gave him hell. Didn't came up a little short, but at the same time, I'm sure left on Sunday night going, okay, like you know, we're not leaving with question marks here. We know we have a car that can go this quick, and now you get to kind of do the fine tuning work, like you said, to get it go a little bit quicker. Uh, as well as, like you said, the never-ending uh, hunt for hunt for the sponsorship bucks, and that kind of leads me to, to maybe my next question. In that, once you guys knew you were locked into to the qualified field on Saturday, you pushed out a line, and that's something that isn't uncommon. It certainly makes all the sense in the world. Why risk the parts, the pieces, if you know you're going to be in the field? From your perspective, sitting in the seat, I've always wondered about this. And and again, because you're I'm not you're not a new driver, but new to this world of top fuel. How how big is the adrenaline dump when that happens? And I don't mean disappointment because it's not disappointment. It's pragmatic thinking. But you're there. You're about two pair back, and they come in and they say, hey, man, we're locked in. We're going back to the pits. That must take a minute to kind of calm yourself from, right? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely um, I definitely was amped up. So I'm going to give you some behind-the-scenes information, a little bit of what was going on with the car itself. Um that kind of helped keep me level-headed in the midst of all that. So, um, like I said, we were fighting a little bit of an issue in, in the clutch management system. The clutch was not being consistent. So, first run, um, and, and what's interesting is I feel like I'm getting pretty darn comfortable in the car. Good. Uh, talking with Jack Beckman, I really do need, you know, 50 to 100 run, full runs down the track before I feel like I'm going to have a good, a really good handle because, man, these things accelerate so hard. But I am catching up to the car. I am aware of what's going on. I'm driving it. I'm not just along for the ride. So to illustrate that fact, first qualifying session, it goes out. I, it, we've been having a problem with it shaking the tires. I feel a little bit of a quiver, but not a shake. So I keep my foot in it. We get to about the eighth mile. I felt the car nose over. Now, I didn't know that it had dropped two cylinders, but I did know that, A, it didn't sound right, and, B, it didn't feel right, so I lifted at 900 feet. Um, evidently, Pat Dakin didn't because I had a great view of his fireball next to me, um, <laughs> which was co- honestly, it was cool. I was like, I'm like, man, I'm in a top fuel car, and Dakin's next to me blowing up. I was like, you know, I was like, I felt like a, you know, that five year old kid that I was yeah. at English Town at the Summer Nationals, but I had a front row seat, right? So. So Dakin's blown up next to me, and I'm like, okay, I lifted early because the thing didn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and um, so we get back to the pits, and yeah, you know what? It, you know, I we look at the graph, and, and I said to Gary at the top end, I'm like, look, this is what I felt, right? And described to him what I just described to you. And so we get back there, and, and uh, Gary pulls the graph up, and you pull up the drive shaft speed, and he sees a little bit of a wobble in there. He's like, yeah, man, it quivered. You're, you're 100% right. And I'm like, I think I lifted right about 900 feet. So he looks at the computer, and it says that I lifted at 890 feet. There you and go. he's like, yeah. He's like, you're right with the car now. I'm like, yeah, well, that's cool. I still have a lot to learn, right? Don't get me wrong. I have no, 
delusions of that I'm that I'm further along as a driver than I really am. I'm a rookie, man, right? And I still have a lot to learn, but I feel like I'm very confident in the car. Like I said before, Dom came over, gave us a little bit of help. We knew what we had going in Sunday. Now we had removed a bunch of primary weight off the clutch, right? And Gary and I are talking Saturday night after Dom leaves. He's like, man, he's like, I could put that weight back on the clutch, but I'm not sure if I really want to do that. Yeah. And so as the two of us talked, we both came to agreement, like, you know, you know what? Let's leave it alone. We'll run a four Oh something. We'll keep clay honest and, and we'll live to, to race another day. So having, having come back from that first qualifying run, having had it spun a bearing, knowing that we, like we did a motor change, right? Oh, wow, before we okay. went back up for Q2, right? So here we are with a bunch of volunteer crew guys. We do a motor change. We're done. We're ready to go. We got the car fired up, warmed up. We're ready for the next call. But we only have two motors. We only have three crankshafts, right? So here we are, have a crankshaft that's in the motor we just took out that's questionable, and we need to check it. And, and we've, got an, we've only got our only bullet in there. So when we pulled out a line, I'm like, oh, thank God, we have the parts to race on Sunday. Yeah, see, so, that's a great point. That's, a, that's actually a great point, too. Yeah. So it's funny. Like, it, you know, on one hand, I was like, crap, man, I need seat time. I need to learn more. I want to make as many runs as possible. On the other hand, I'm like, well, thank God we didn't blow something up. And I'd have to go over to my buddies that, you know, Kalitas have been helping us with parts. Um, Torrance's have also given us tires to scrub. I mean, look, we're, we're you know, we're bottom feeders for that aspect. We're, we're getting the leftovers from the other teams. And I'm like, you know, thank on one hand, I was kind of, I was really disappointed. And yeah, that adrenaline, I had to drop that adrenaline down. On the other hand, I'm like, ah, you know what? Thank God. We know we're going to run first round because the car's ready to go right now. Yeah. You know, other than making a head gasket change, right, for the weather and, and a couple things like that. But it's like, all right, we know we're ready to go. So pulling out a line actually gave me a level of confidence on Sunday that maybe I wouldn't have had if we had hurt something on that second run. So long answer for a short question, but I think, Given that kind of backstory, might you know, might help people listening to understand kind of what's going on really behind the scenes. Yeah, no, that's actually uh, that's incredible insight there, and and I think what's always interesting to me, and it's a it's a hard thing to convey. You know, it's hard thing to convey for us to convey to the fans, where like when you see you know, when you see you or anybody else pushing out a line because they know they're in on Sunday, this is not necessarily a moment of disappointment. You know, it is for the fan because the fan doesn't really – it's tough to get all that inside baseball you just gave me to the fan, right? They don't understand maybe the 150 factors that are going into this decision as opposed to just the one single just visual of the car coming out of line. But, um, wow, that's a great story, man. It makes all the sense in the world. Like you said, like, okay, <laughs> this, this yeah. you know, this is maybe a, this may be a blessing in disguise here that we're not going to, uh, we're not going to cause ourselves any issues. That's, uh, that's really, really cool. And I guess what, uh, I, who have you seen, or I guess what have you seen and experienced over the last couple of races that has been the most surprising thing to you personally, in terms of your top fuel experience to this point? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, one of the things is, is just what we talked about. I, if you would have asked me, you know, six months ago that we, we only have two qualifying shots. We made it in on one. We're pulling out a line on the second. If you were to say, you're not going to be too disappointed. I would have been like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I was, I, I was surprised at how I was not upset by it, by the fact that I was like, Oh, thank God we get to race. And, and maybe, you know, Hey, listen, if there's fans out there that want to see us make every qualifying run, Help us find the money. I'm all yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> because my 
Well, look, my focus, I need, I look, I want to, I want to win. I want to be successful right now. Look in a 390 car, our odds of going to the final round is pretty slim. So in order for us to win, we've got to conserve parts and pieces. So, you know, even look, even in round one, we got to, you know, we're, we're, I'm coming up on 900 feet again. I'd love to keep my foot in it. There was no way I was going to catch clay. Yeah. So I lifted. Why? Because I don't want to blow the thing up because if we blow the thing up, then Gary and I are going to look at each other like, all right, well, how much money do we need to get back out there again? And Gary will be like, oh, I've got this much. So Joe, go find the rest. Um, so what was surprising? What's the thing I've learned the most? Um, be patient. That, that really is what it, what it's all about. Um, I, I really, uh, and, and taking baby steps. Uh, I'm the kind of guy, um, well, look here, here, I'm the kind of guy that likes to run before I could even crawl. And, and that is a, that's, a, that's something that you can't do in top fuel. You just can't do it. I mean, you can, it'll end very badly. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, and, and again, I'm really fortunate that I've been out here long enough to have made a lot of friends. And, and, uh, again, I mentioned Beckman, Jack and I had a 45 minute phone conversation the other day talking about all kinds of different things that, and he's been super, super helpful and a good friend, you know? Um, so, so yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the interesting thing is, yeah, I, I think really just, I, I need to just, uh, continue to, to take the steps I've taken. Now on the flip side of things, and, and many people may not know this, I've done all my racing in nostalgia racing. So I've never, it entered a car in a divisional event, much less a national event. And here I am running top fuel. So, you know, I kind of got the best of both worlds, I think in that aspect. Yeah. You know, to your point a moment ago, there's like, it, it, there's value in the amount of time that you've put in to get to where you're at too. And obviously everybody would like that, uh, that trip to be as quick as possible from, you know, conception to completion in terms of, I want to race top fuel car and how do I get there to do it? Um, but I also feel like, to your your answering questions in a way that that illustrates to me and I'm sure everybody listening that like this is not just uh, this is not just something you like you said you want to do for a month and you know it's like the old thing everybody knew that kid in their neighborhood growing up that their parents bought him the shiny new bike and the kid managed to wreck the thing in six months because he had no personal investment in it. <laughs> Meanwhile, like if you had to, you had to pay 10 bucks for your own bike or whatever, you're like, man, I want to keep this thing nice and I want to, I don't want to ruin it. And so to your point where it's like, you understand that there are, I don't want to say consequences, but there are consequences to keeping your foot in a car. That's not going to win a race, maybe for your own edification, it's a personal best or something, but at what cost is that? And that's a really interesting snap decision you got to make, man. That takes a lot of self-control. It's, um, I really try to pre-program myself ahead of time. And, and I've, I've said it to Gary and Bob and Dan leverage, I'm like, listen, guys, I can promise you this. Right. And it's, of course that comes from my match racing background, but it, it's like, I have a tendency to save the equipment. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, Ted Bryan trusted me and the fuel altered and, and look, we've had great racing experiences. I mean, hell, I matched race the wind express at the California hot rod reunion <laughs> twice. Right. So, yeah. That was awesome, and, and consider Mike Boyd a friend, right? Like, that's a great deal. But if you blow the thing up in match racing and you can't come back for your second round, you don't get paid, right? So, you know, even with Rocky, with, with, with racing the frantic Ford, and we were match racing Bruce Larson, like, that was a tremendous honor, and Bruce is a wonderful guy. 
But if I blow it up on the first round to beat him and we can't come back, well, then all of a sudden the, the, the trip goes from, you know, maybe breaking even to costing Rocky money. And the last thing I want to do. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a snap decision, but I've kind of been hardwired for it over the last 10 years, you know, and even with my own car running in Nito, if I blow it up, I couldn't afford to fix it. So I had to conserve the equipment. So in that aspect, you know what? I think the leverages and I are a great match, not only personality wise, but we have to have that same mentality. So I think what it's going to be, good Lord willing, I ever, you know, get the full-time ride I'm looking for, whether that's with the leverages or whether that ends up being who knows where, you know, over the course of a couple of years, I, yeah, I think the crew chief's going to have to be like, all right, don't worry about it. Blow it up. Go ahead. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you got to talk you into it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, talk to me a little bit too. And, and obviously, well, actually two things. One is, um, we had Jamie Howe down in the pits with you guys this weekend because you get the double throttle whack uh, situation that everybody loves. You know, it's a, uh, it's a really cool thing. And the t-shirts themselves are, are awesome. Um, that was great. And also I want to talk to you about right to breathe, obviously, because this is, you know, um, honestly, and I, in conjunction with your growth and drag racing, I think has been, you know, your steadfast growth with, with right to breathe. So, um, two things, one, let's talk about double throttle wax and then let's talk about right to breathe. So, um, again, fitting with my, with my match racing background, um, there is nothing cooler than sitting in the seat of a top fuel car. Um, you know, other than if I, if Gary would let me hit the throttle myself, but I understand why he doesn't. God forbid there's a problem, right? But, but it's funny. I've driven some, some pretty darn fast cars, right? You know, uh, even the, the, uh, alcohol nostalgia car that, that'll run low sixes at 230 miles an hour. I have never been in a car ever up until now when you hit the throttle and my first thought is, holy crap, this thing means business, <laughs> you know? So, so the, and you know, growing up as a kid in English town, the throttle wax in the pits were just that. And, and look, I understand we can't do dry hops. I get it. it these cars would not do well with dry hops, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but at least doing the throttle wax in the pits, I think I would love to see that mandated. Oh, you and me both. You, know? you and me both. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it really is, um, it just it's uh it's it's awesome i'm so glad that i'm a part of it and uh and the, like you said the fans love it and that and to me that's enough reason to keep doing it you know yeah you can make the argument that the clutch won't be quite as consistent yeah you can you can make some arguments on the performance side but you know i don't think it hurt alexis and, and alexis is doing it a little bit so exactly. hey you know let's do it for the fans you know as far as that as far as i'm concerned there so uh yeah, on the right to breathe side of things, right? Um, for for the for the benefit of people who don't know the story, that my dad, um, that I'm a second generation racer, right? Dad raced junior stock, stock and super stock in the '60s and into the '70s. He gave it up when my brother and I were young because, look, you know, he was a plumber. Mom was home with with my brother and I, and she was going to nursing school. Like we couldn't afford it. Um, we still went to the races. We had plenty of friends at the track. As a matter of fact, my dad on occasion would help the Cassidy brothers in their funny cars. Um, but so we were there, but all I knew was my dad wanted to race in the worst way. He loved it. Um, like I love it. So later on in life, um, you know, I, I have the opportunity to drive this, the Fiat altered that I've been driving, um, 
and still own that car to this day. As a matter oh, nice. of fact, I'm upgrading it. I'm upgrading it from an injected motor to a supercharged Chevy with a big 1471 blower. We're hoping to have that back out later this year. Oh, so sweet. For everyone who wants to know, I'm still going to do some nostalgia stuff. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and so, you know, that's a story for another time. So back to Right to Breathe. So by the time I was able to give racing back to my dad, he was diagnosed with COPD. Oh, and by the way, he had already lost more than half of his lung function before he was diagnosed. We found out that that was a common scenario, um, that many people don't get diagnosed until they're already pretty darn sick. But if you catch it early, you can slow or stop the progression of it. That was the whole inspiration. I thought it was so unfair that this man that I loved so dearly, um, that he worked his whole life doing the right thing for his family. And by the time he gets to do what he loves to do, He's almost too sick to enjoy it. And so we learned strategies on how to help him do what he loved to do. And we used, we used his passion for racing as a motivator to help him do the difficult things that needed to be done. Because, man, when you can't breathe, you really don't feel like doing anything. Yeah. So, so, um, so that's what we're sharing with others. And that was the inspiration for Right to Breathe. We started it in 2014. Um, we had already been working with the COPD Foundation, and they had a program that lost its funding. And so I said, you know what, we we got to do this. There's 14 million Americans that have COPD and don't know it. And, and so, so really, it's a personal mission of mine. Um, my dad passed away just a couple days after his 70th birthday in 2016. Um, Brian, if I have one thing that I could have, it would be that my dad was here to enjoy this with me. Um, this. Even, you know, even the stuff I was doing meant so much to him, and it gave him so much joy. Um, I, I like to believe that somehow he knows, um, but, but really, um, that's my inspiration. If we can help one other person have more time with their loved ones, then all the effort um, for Right to Breathe is worth it. Um, and, and truthfully, look, not a complaint, but my day gig for many years has been, i got a landscape business. Like, I have... Someone looking from the outside would be like, look, dude, you got no business trying to start a nonprofit because you don't have the resources <laughs> to do it. Fortunately, there's enough people around that have helped, um, you know, and it's been some blood, sweat and tears, you know, but, but again, if we can help one person um, do what they love to do and, and have that fulfilling part of their life that my dad had that gave him so much joy, you know, look, whether that, that might be that might be baseball, might be golf. It might be walking on the beach with your kids. For us, it's drag racing, right? Yep. We, we, you know, eat, sleep, you know, bleed drag racing. And, and for those folks, like, you know, look, use that as a motivator. So our, our belief is that people can overcome great obstacles when their passion in life drives them. So that, that's the message of Right to Breathe. And that's really the, the drive that keeps me working at it, even on some days where I look at myself and I'm like, man, I, I must be crazy. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> But it's all right, you know, it's all good, and and, uh, and and there's a satisfaction that comes with that um, that I've never, I've never, you know, between between now finally being in, in Top Fuel and then and then helping Right to Breathe get to a higher level, uh, I got to pinch myself, man. I really, really, really feel like I'm like the luckiest guy on the planet. No, it's awesome, man. It's uh, you know the the luck is uh, the luck has been a byproduct of uh, a lot of hard work over a lot of years, and it's been been really cool to to kind of witness the whole thing um one last question i guess is uh this topsy-turvy 2020 season there's nobody that can really accurately answer this question but what are you guys going to try to do for the rest of the year (laughs) so right an interesting question um so i I, uh 
I'm wrestling back and forth with this um, because look, if if I, if I race in three or four races, excuse me, I can maintain my rookie status for next year. And, and we're talking with a couple of different people at a couple of different companies that, that might be able to give us a legitimate shot. I would love to have a chance to be rookie of the year. Sure. Even just to have that chance. Now, if we go out and run six races, not that they're going to be four more. I think there will be. Um, well, then that, that opportunity's gone. And listen, honestly, I'm looking at the, the, the class of, of rookie drivers this year, and I think Justin Ashley's the guy. I think he's going to get rookie of the year. I think he deserves it. It's a tough, um, it's a tough known, argument. It's a tough argument to make against him. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, listen, I, there's no way on God's green earth that I'm going to, you know, have a shot at rookie of the year this year. So what does that mean? Right. So does that mean I've got a couple more events this year and we really focus on 2021 so that, that again, that makes that decision-making process difficult. There's probably going to be 20 top fuel cars, maybe 21, maybe 22 even at the U S Nats. So do we go right? And again, low buck team, right? We don't, yeah. if you're number 19, you're not getting paid. You're so you're going to tell me we, yeah. we just made three, three runs instead of two and we're coming home with nothing. So I, I, right now, I, you know, Gary and I are talking, but I don't think the U S Nats is going to be our next event, which then brings the, the next question. So what is next? Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, I, 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 I want to race in Reading, but I don't know that that race will happen or not. It's still up in the air. NHRA hasn't made a decision yet. Um, living close to here, I know what the restrictions are, and, and I don't know that those restrictions will be lifted in time. I don't know that they won't, so not sure, right? So we're looking at, look, we have a couple of the sponsors are based out of Florida, so, yeah, we would like to run the Gators. Most drivers... I know a lot of drivers that don't want to run four wide. I would. I, I actually feel like I've got the level of concentration where I can pay attention to where what lane I'm in and where I have to look on the tree. And, and being a part of a four wide race, I think, would be cool. Um, so that's an option. We're also looking at strategically for right to breathe. We want to be at Bristol yeah, because of the, the prevalence of people living with lung disease in that area. You know, I mean, we've got people, we've got people to serve down there. So, so Bristol is another race. So, right. Pick any two out of those that I mentioned and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and depending on what happens, those are events we're considering. And, and really, um, for us, I have to come up with some sponsor dollars to pay for expenses. So yep. when we go west of the Mississippi, our expenses go up significantly, right? So St. Louis would be possible. Bristol would be possible. Gainesville would be possible. Uh, we were going to go to Atlanta, um, but but that event got canceled. So, um, so how many more are we going to do? Well, at least two. Um, but uh, from there, honestly, like everybody else, we're kind of playing it by ear. Um, and the other thing is this: Charlotte and Gainesville are back to back for a volunteer crew. Um, you know, we need time in between races. I mean, it's not like we've got you know sixty racks ready to go. So between races, Gary's got a ton of maintenance to do. Um, you know, so if you think about it, right, like that, that would be an awful lot of work for us to do back-to-back events. We can do it, but it's pretty rough. So, you know, if Gainesville and Charlotte both happen, we're probably going to pick one. And if we pick one, we're going to Gainesville because half Whitlock from High Tech Cam is down there, and, and uh, 
and Mark Jones from Mark's Mixers is down there, and those, you know, that race is their home race. So, yeah, you know, we want to important place to be. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, unfortunately, I feel like I've given you a non-answer, but at least I've provided the framework of our decision making. I like process, it. Right? I like that answer. I like the answer. I like the insight into the uh, into the process of making these types of decisions. So, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been uh, been a fun thing to watch you guys out there in qualifying, and certainly going to be fun to watch you later on this season whenever you reappear with the Leverage Family Car. Uh, thanks for everything, Joe. Appreciate it, and again, uh, just thankful to uh, to be watching you progress in your career as you've worked so hard to do. Thanks, Brian. Uh, again, honored to be on the show and uh, looking forward to what the future may bring. Awesome answer and a great chat with Joe Morrison, a guy who has uh, clawed his way into the world of Top Fuel and is not going anywhere anytime soon. We're going to be watching him for a good long time in the world of NHRA Mellow Yellow Championship drag racing, as we'll be watching Ron Caps the same way and be interested to see what Ron Caps and that team can do to add on to the momentum that they've created for themselves coming off the Dodge Indy Nats. It was an absolutely great race in Indy last weekend, and we certainly continue to keep our thoughts and keep our prayers and keep our good vibes heading the way of Jake Sanders, Richie Crampton, and Dominic Lagana. We'll keep you updated on that story when we come back next week with the next episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And frankly, if you're unfamiliar with Dom Lagana, you can go back and listen to the episode that we made with him just a few weeks ago. A true quality guy and someone that you'll get to know a lot more about if you listen to that episode and understand why the whole drag racing community is rallying around his cause. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll start to ramp up the talk about the Denso Spark Plugs NHRA U.S. Nationals, and we'll be getting ready for that next race on the tour as we return to Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. More news will be breaking this week, I am sure. We'll keep you posted on all of it when we come back next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans.